Home Court Press is back with McCade Pearson and Brian Priest coming at you every Wednesday of the offseason. Today we take a look at the Stifle Tower, Rudy Gobert, and his upcoming contract status. Rudy is eligible for a Supermax deal at 35% of the cap, but will the Jazz offer less in hopes of building a contender around Rudy and Donovan Mitchell? And what does a Utah Jazz team look like without Rudy Gobert? Lastly, we'll wrap up this week's pod heading into week three of the NFL season with our three best bets this weekend. Stay tuned as all that and more coming up next on Home Court Press. Welcome into Home Court Press. It's a beautiful Wednesday morning. Brian Priest here talking with McCade Pearson, as always, talking Utah Jazz basketball. Specifically today, McCade, we want to talk about the Stifle Tower, Rudy Gobert and his contract situation with the Jazz. But before we get started, how you doing today, McCade? Uh, we're doing good. I'm in full off-season mode. Um, I'm enjoying the conference finals. Don't get me wrong. I keep an eye on those. But uh, my mindset's in the off-season. I mean, when it's the Jazz off-season, real basketball doesn't even exist anymore, does it? I don't know. The Nuggets-Lakers series has been pretty fun. There's some quirky stuff going there. And uh, Celtics Heat have taken a break. Let the Western Conference Finals catch up. And ESPN has their rights. They didn't want to have a playoff <laughs> game and Monday Night Football going at the exact same time. And rightfully so. Smart so, on ESPN's part there. So let's talk about correct. those two series. Do you want to start in the East or the West? Uh, let's start in the West. That's what's been playing lately. The Nuggets should be up 2-1 right now. They really should be. Anthony Davis hits that buzzer beater. I, I mean, that was a hell of a three-point shot from AD to finish game two and give the Lakers the win. And then the Nuggets just they kind of did what the Nuggets do with Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray going out there and I don't want to say they put a beating on the Lakers in Game Three, but they had a double-digit lead for most of that game. It's, I just, I'm stunned every day I watch the Nuggets take the floor and and the way they're competing against each of these teams in the West: the Jazz, then the Clippers, and now the Lakers. Yeah, they're up 20, 19 to two run by the Lakers. The Nuggets have six straight possessions and in a turnover, and you're like, this is falling apart more than a game of 2K where I change the spiders to have 100% steal rate. <laughs> um, Nuggets calm down, finish the game out. It, it felt like it might switch and the Lakers might take it, but uh, Nuggets are just such a reason. They have an identity, yeah. I think, the number one thing I'd say there. And having an identity gets you a long way. Um, so, yeah, props to the Nuggets. I'm assuming they're going to lose to the Lakers in game four and then come back from 3-1 all over again, right? <laughs> I mean, that would make sense <laughs> at this point. And then we look at the, the East Coast. The Celtics, after going down 2-0, have – Widely reported some drama in the locker room. Marcus Smart calling guys out, not very happy with their performance. And I, I think it was the, the heart and tenacity that they didn't show in games one and two. And then they, they go out in game three and really turn things around and cut the, the deficit to two games to one right now against the Heat. That one's been a really fun series to watch. Yeah, so here's a good stat for you. Um, since game three, the first round for the Celtics, the Home team has lost 12 straight games. They won the two on the road to finish the sweep in the first round, and then all seven games against the Raptors were won by the road team. And now here we are three games into the series, and the road team's won all three. So maybe it's not a home court advantage. Maybe it's a road court advantage here in the East right now. And so that's just a fun little thing going on. Um, game four is obviously in Miami. So uh, Boston could win that game tied up 2-2. And that series looks really good as we come around the weekend of the end of these series. So with the four teams left right now, McCade, what's your ideal NBA Finals? Man, I'd love to see Nuggets. He just watched the world burn. Um, or Lakers-Celtics, <laughs> just because we have to have that Finals once a decade. It's in the law, it's in the CBA. Um, but no, really whatever happens, 
I'm excited because I think we're going to get a good six, seven game series in both these conference finals. I think the finals are going to go six or seven games. And that's what you want to see because the NBA has some issues with seven game series and 82 game regular season that things can not get long. I enjoy the basketball, but they can get predictable. Mm -hmm. And right now I'd say the Celtics, Heat and Lakers all have about a 30% chance to win the title. So I have no clue what's going to happen over the next three weeks, but that's fun not knowing. You know, if I had to put some money down, I'd really like to see a Lakers-Heat finals because I think I would pick the Heat. Obviously, I've got some Lakers bias, but I just love the way that Heat team plays. Goran Dragic is a guy I had my eyes on as a jazz target for a few seasons now, and I, I, I would just watch what he does for that Miami Heat team. Can you imagine that coming in a jazz uniform? Yeah, I'd love that. I mean, he's getting kind of old. He's got a weird contract situation. So we'll see if we can get him in a couple of years. But I do would love Lakers Heat because that matchup would be very similar to Mavericks Heat with LeBron on the other side from 2011, where it's just like a really good star and a thousand good role players who aren't going to lose the game. And we'll see if LeBron can take that down this time. Yeah, it would be a lot of fun to watch that finals. But it really, no matter how this shakes out, I think the playoffs have been terrific. The bubble's gone off without a hitch unless you're Daniel House of the Rockets. What a clown letting people into his room. But I digress. It's going to be fun watching these conference finals as they play out, and then we get into the NBA finals starting early early, ne- early to mid-next so, week, right? Yeah, they want to start next Wednesday on the 30th. But if either series goes game seven. They're going to have to push it to Friday the 2nd. Um, so, yeah, you're seven, nine days out. I'm assuming one of these series is going to go seven games right now. So I'd expect them to start on next Friday. I think that would make sense. Let's just take a look at the man, the myth, the legend, the best defensive center in the NBA, the guy who really makes the Jazz tick. The, the man in the middle? The man in the middle, the Stifle Tower, the French Rejection, the Gobert Report, apparently, according to Basketball Reference, <laughs> and, of course, affectionately, Godzilla, Rudy Gobert. He, he is under contract for one more year with the Jazz, and he's eligible for a Supermax extension. So let's just take a look at some of the things Rudy has done in his career. First of all, he's 28 years old, just turned 28 in June, so... 28 to 29 is typically for most NBA players when they really hit their prime, like 28 to 32. Already in his brief seven-year career, he's made an all-star team. He's a two-time defensive player of the year, four-time all-NBA defense selection, three-time all-NBA selection, and he led the league in blocks in 2016 and 17. And I believe this, this year he led the league in rebounding. Rudy brings an awful lot to the table. He's got a lot of gravity offensively. With all of those things being said, he, he has earned the Supermax. He's eligible for it. But what, before we even dive too much into this contract conversation, McCade, what's the difference in the Supermax extension, a Max extension, or just a contract extension? That's a good question. So back in 1999 lockout, right, and they played 50 games, that's the first time the CBA introduced a Max contract. And since then, they've kind of, fluffed it up and done some things to it. And this last CBA in 2017, they came out with this thing called, yeah, the Supermax contract is what we refer to it as in the general public. Um, your max contract is dependent on how many years in the league you've been. So it's 25% for players who have been in the league under six years. That's Donovan Mitchell next offseason, right? And then you have this middle category of six to 10 years, and you get thir- a max contract of 30% of the cap. 
And then if you've been in the league 10 plus years, LeBron James, Chris Paul, that's why Kawhi Leonard signed a two-year deal to get to that 10-year number. Then you can sign a contract worth 35% of the cap. Does that make sense? Yes, that does. So what happens is there's this clause that it kind of applies to rookies, Donovan Mitchell, Crafty Towns, those guys recently. But it really, really is focused on this middle tier of guys who have played their entire second contract with one team. Um, basically your entire career with one team. James Harden is an exception because he got traded on his rookie deal. But yeah, it's basically your entire contract on one team. And if you fill X requirements, then we'll say, screw your experience. We'll let you get 35%. And Rudy Gobert has done that by being all NBA and slash or defensive player of the year the last couple of years. Yeah. So what you have to do is you either have to have it the second and third year before you sign or the year before you sign. So Rudy Gobert is eligible based off both of those. He's made All-NBA and Defense Player of the Year each of the last three years. So he's well past eligibility. He's actually already qualified because of 2019 and 2020 to have this option carry over into next summer as well. Yeah. They found out he made All-NBA last week, mm-hmm. which is an interesting little thing. It just means there's no real pressure on the timeline that if we want to do it right now, we can. If we want to do it in six months, we can. If we want to do it in a year, we can. Um, but, yeah, so that's kind of the difference. He's so, all NBA Defensive Player of the Year. By the letter of the law, he's eligible to now make 35% instead of 30%. Of course, that doesn't guarantee anything. Him and the Jazz still have to come to agreement on contract. So as kind of an aside here, McKay, does it seem strange to you that the NBA rules dictate that a press vote essentially can dictate <laughs> players' contracts going forward, whether it be the all-NBA selection or the Defensive Player of the Year selections? That just it seems like an odd way to award a guy an extra year and an extra $30, $40, 50000000 million, doesn't it? Oh, it, it really is. Um, it's a lot of pressure on the all-NBA voting guys, and if people make mistakes leaving Anthony Davis off your ballot, it can have big implications. This year, nobody was really affected because we've all – Giannis and Gobert already qualified, and nobody else is really coming up for that um, until a couple years from now when Embiid and maybe Cranston Towns come around for that. So, But it is strange. It's a lot of pressure. Um However, looking at it, I've had this conversation with a few people. I don't know what you do to fix that. You're going to let the players vote? No. Then they vote for their friends to make sure their friends get money. You let the coaches vote? Man, maybe you let front offices vote. Nobody really takes it seriously except for the media. It's weird. And I don't know how to fix it. You said, oh, if you're an all-star? I mean, that's the same thing as all-NBA. That's fan voting and then coaches voting. Is it, oh, if you average 20 points per game? Well, no, that's dumb because then you have guys like Rudy and Bam and Nicole Jokic who aren't getting 20 points a game. And it gets really complicated really fast on how else you can do it other than awards, but the awards are voted for the media by the media. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I don't know if it's a solution, but you know, maybe you, you have weighted voting where you do have the players, the coaches, and the media, and you weight those votes accordingly. I, I think I would probably give a little bit more weight to the coaches, but then at the same time, the the head coaches aren't watching every single team in the league. They're no. preparing for their next opponent night in and night out, and that's yeah. that's all they're doing. So it's it, it's just, like you said, it, it's kind of an odd way to do it, but I'm not sure that there's a simple solution to it. And you're right, though. This does offend players and get uh, players get frustrated. We saw this. Clay Thompson barely missed all NBA last year and needed that to become Supermax eligible. And so his deal he signed with the Warriors last summer was a normal 30% instead of a 35% because I think he finished 17th or 18th in all NBA voting instead of top 15th. Yeah. 
All right, so, McCade. I mean, there you go. Let's okay. let's talk Rudy here. So I said he's he's under contract for one more year, the 2021 season at $26.5 million. Everything that we're going to talk about today will be under the assumption that next year's cap will be the same as this previous season's cap at $109 million. Is that correct? Yes, and Rudy's contract is, and Donovan's, for what it's worth, is 100% tied to the 2022 cap. Um, which again we don't know. It was projected 125. We were supposed to go 109, 116, 125. At this point in time, I would assume we go 109, 109, 109. So yeah, we're going to roll with 109 million today, 110 million in between there. But mostly, I think we'll talk at percentages of cap because that's what it ends up being. Which yeah. brings up a good point with Rudy. He 35% of the cap was going to be 250 million, and now because if it stays at 109, because of all the COVID stuff and everything else, it will be about $220 million. So Gobert's already potentially lost about $30, $35 million from this little cap drop. Yep. Um, and that's if he gets 35%, which a lot of people don't think he'll get. We'll get into that. Okay, so if we're talking 35% at $109 million, if the Jazz were to offer Rudy the Supermax five seasons today, that would put Rudy at $38.15 million in year one. It's a huge dollar amount, but honestly, if I if I look at the the way the Jazz can structure contracts, and we'll we'll get more down into that rabbit hole later in the pod, I I think thirty eight to forty or so million dollars for year one in whatever contract Rudy signs with the Jazz, assuming he does resign with them, I I think it's totally fair. The problem with the supermax comes in. At each subsequent season, if they offer him everything possible, it's an 8% escalator each of those five yeah. seasons. So the fifth year of that deal, Rudy's making over $53.4 million. And that seems untenable right now. Which is fine if the cap's raising 8% as well. And it's neutral, right? If the yes. cap's raising at 8%, who cares if he gets an 8% raise? It's if the cap's raising at 3 or 4% or stays flat, then all of a sudden he's becoming more and more and more. And on the other hand, a couple of years ago, if the cap goes up 20%, then, who, then you're saving money with it having an 8% rate. Mm-hmm. Um, one interesting note is that can go either way. You, we've seen that with Joe Ingles and the Orlando Magic like to do this a lot. It can go down. Yeah. So you can go from 38 to 36 to 34. Um, Harrison Barnes just signed a declining deal. It can go flat. It can go up 3%. It can go up and then down. It can go any which way direction. The max is 8% increase or decrease. Usually they get an 8% increase. Yeah, and and then if he were to sign a max contract, year one puts him at thirty two point seven million. So that's that thirty percent of of the salary cap. With the twenty four twenty five season, it would be the fourth year of that deal. He'd be at forty two point three million dollars. Again, not a totally unreasonable number, but the concern is for the Jazz and really every team looking to hand out big money and long term deals this off season. I, I almost said summer, but this off season is. They don't know what's going to be happening with the cap. You've already referenced it. It's probably going to be at $109 million this coming season. Probably stay at $109 million the season thereafter. And, and if you're building those escalators into certain deals, it can get onerous really fast. You know, We saw, um, was it three or four years ago when Kevin Durant signed with the Warriors, they didn't use cap smoothing. A lot of guys got huge deals because it was... Teams just handing out money like, oh, we, we have to get to this certain level of the cap. So they're handing out these these huge deals. And then two, three years later, they look like awful deals because the cap didn't do what teams expected it to at the time. And that's that's kind of the risk you have if you're the Utah Jazz when you're looking at offering Rudy Gobert this type of money. 
Yeah, and these numbers can sound really scary, especially to us normal people. $38 million is just unfathomable in one year, let alone $200 million over the course of five years. But if Gobert was to get $38.1 million for the 2000, that would be the 21-22 season. It's going to be his first year on this contract, right? That would currently put him as the 10th most expensive player in the NBA. Kawhi would also join that. Al George would be right there. Some other guys are coming up. It would seem to be somewhere between the 10th and 15th highest paid player in the NBA for that season, which I think is fair. He's probably a top 10 to 15 to 20 player, right? Yeah. Um, your main concern is he's not going to live up to the front end of that contract. It's, a, it's when he's 32 and making 45, 50, 55 million, whatever it may be, is he going to part of the contract? And does that matter? Because it's okay to pay dead money to a guy for not competing. But if, a jazz, if that's going to hold the Jazz back, like, in bless his soul, Andre Karolinko in the late 2000s. And that's what you don't want. No, you're definitely trying to, to avoid that back end of the deal becoming an, an albatross and really hampering anything you want to do in free agency and the draft and things like that. Thanks for tuning in today. Home Court Press can be found on kbear.com. Just go to kbear.com forward slash home court press. We can also be found on any of your major podcatchers. And remember to listen, share, rate, and review so more people have an opportunity to listen. Lastly, give McCade Pearson a follow on Twitter at McCadep8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. And you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at bpriest24. That's B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. As always, thanks for listening to Home Court Press, and now back to the show. So what does a Rudy Gobert contract extension look like for you, McCade? To me, I think you take advantage of, of the ability that you have to offer five years. Nobody else in the league can offer Rudy five years of security. So you yeah, take advantage yep. of that. You, you offer that fifth year, but I don't think it's a supermax. I think what you want to do, you do a front-loaded deal. It's also an incentive-laden deal. So you, you already talked about that, having a de-escalating contract. Harrison Barnes signed one like that. Joe Ingles is currently on a de-escalating contract. It's, it's the kind of deal I think the Jazz have liked to do in the past. So what I think you do is the Jazz are going to be capped out this season and probably next, no matter what they end up doing with Rudy. So... I think if you give him as, as much as possible, that 38 to $40 million in the first year, and then you, you slowly go down from there, but you give him opportunities to earn that max money back through uh, incentives and things like that, all-star appearances, defensive player of the year honors, if the Jazz win a title. I think Eric Gordon has a stipulation in his contract where he gets like $15 million if the Rockets Eric, win a championship. Eric Gordon has a weird thing. I'm not sure the details, but yeah, something to do with making the finals, winning a championship. And then Al Horford and his monster deal in Philly, his last year isn't guaranteed unless Philly makes the finals. So a little rant here on three different things. So taking a step back and kind of looking at this, there's three things I want to point out. One I already mentioned, there's no timeline for the Jets to do this. Donovan Mitchell has to be signed by quote-unquote mid-October. Obviously, that date's a little different this season, but in general, basically before the season starts is when Donovan has to sign his extension. Rudy can sign his extension anytime from when next year calendar year begins, next league year begins, up until June 30th of next year. So they could do this mid-season if they want. They want to say, okay, let's see 40 more games of it, and at the All-Star break, we'll sign you. They can do that. The other two things is a contract extension is exactly what it sounds like. It is an extension, which means you carry over the incentives in this current contract. You can't offer a no trade clause. 
that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. If they wanted to change the incentives or offer no trade clause, they would have to wait until, again, quote-unquote, July 1st of 2021. Um, here's a trivia question for you. Okay. So to be eligible for a no trade clause, you have to be in the league for eight-plus years, and you've had to play for that team for four years. The catch is it doesn't have to be the most recent four years. It just has to have been for four years in your career. Who in the NBA is currently eligible for a no-trade clause from the Jazz? So currently on this Jazz team? No, currently in the NBA because they don't have to be on the Jazz for the last four years. Just four years in their career. I have no idea. Paul Millsap? Paul Millsap's one. Um, Their favorites is another. Cantor and Hayward and Alec Burks. And C.J. Miles, and I feel like I'm missing one. Um, but Rudy Gobert will be done with his eighth year by next year, so the Jazz could offer him a no-trade clause, which people don't like the sound of that, but really it doesn't do anything because if the Jazz were going to trade Gobert, he'd probably want to be traded anyway. Yeah. It's not like the Jazz are ever going to have a blindsided trade with Gobert, and he can waive that if the Jazz want to trade him. So not a big deal either way. And then, as I mentioned, incentives, if you want to change them, it has to come next summer. It can't be on the extension. If it was on the extension, they can only use the incentives currently on the contract, which include all defense, all-star, defensive rating, and rebounds per game, I believe, are the four he currently has. So is um, is restructuring his current deal something that's a possibility? No. So whatever he's on for this year is what he's on for this year. Okay. So, so, so how would you structure a contract to Rudy? So I would look at a very incentive-heavy contract. Um, how incentives work? sound a little complicated. See if I can put this simply. It can be up to 15% of your contract. Um, But there's two kinds of incentives. There's unlikely incentives and there's likely incentives. And so how that's calculated is did you hit it last year? So for example, Rudy Gobert currently has a $1 million incentive to make the All-Star team. Since he made the All-Star team this year, he will have a $1 million higher cap hit next year. He gets paid for that this year. But on the cap sheet, he will have it on the cap sheet for next year. Does that make sense? Yeah, that that makes sense. So if he makes the all-star team this season, he gets paid this season, but that money goes on the next season's cap. Correct. Yeah. Because now it's considered likely. Yep. On the other hand, Rudy Gobert has a defensive rating number in his contract, and it's funny. They use the old um, formula, so you can't even look it up, and it's kind of weird and complex. and. Go ask Bobby Marks. He knows all this stuff really well, um, having it, worked in the Nets. NBA analytics day. are all about weird and complex. Yeah, so he didn't hit that one this year. It was a $250,000 incentive. He doesn't get that money, and that $250,000 does not go on next year's cap. So how if you hit it this year, it counts towards next year. If you don't, it doesn't. Super easy to understand, but weird to comprehend, especially on big pictures. And those also can go up and down 8%, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So if I was the Jazz, are you asking me what I would offer? Yeah, what you would offer, how you would structure it. You've talked about incentive-laden. You, you also mentioned yeah. a de-escalating type of deal. Would you pay him more up front or in the back end? Because I think so, they're, they're capped out either way. So you pay him more up front, give yourself more flexibility on the back end. So I would start his base contract this year. First of all, I'd wait till next summer, and you can offer some things, a no-trade clause. I'd offer no-trade clause just because that looks pretty and waiting till next summer. And I just, people say I don't have a heart, but I play hardball. I'm like, let's just wait. Plus, I'd want to change the incentives and make this a super incentive-heavy contract. So I would base at 30.45% of the cap. So above that 30% number, because he's earned above that 30% number. So basically add that 30% number 
I give him the 8% raises. I don't think that's big of a deal, but I would give him five incentives at a million dollars each. Okay. Um, and I would do pretty team-based incentives. So incentives have to be super specific. They can't be shoot a higher free throw percentage than you did last year or whatever, that kind of stuff. It has to be like win 25 games, you know, play in 50 games. That's to be very specific. So I would do make an all-defense team, $1 million. Okay. He's going to do that. Currently, he has to make first team on this contract. I would let him make second team just as he gets a little older. I mean, all second team, all defense second team is still good. I would do a million for the all-star game. I would do a, a basically, hopefully, theoretically, a free million for making the playoffs. And I would do a million for making the second round and then a million for making the conference finals. Basically saying every playoff series you win, I'll give you a million dollars. I wouldn't give an incentive to make the finals or win the finals because that's just not realistic, especially every single year because you have to earn that every single year. So you don't want to give him an incentive to like, win the finals that you know, he's not going to win the next five championships. But I think making the conference finals is, I'm not going to say realistic all five years, but it's a realistic goal every single year. Um, and if we're, if we're doing those five things, if Rudy Gobert is an all-defense, all-star level player and we're making the conference finals every year, we're going to be happy to pay him all the money in the world, right? Absolutely. And so that's where I'd go. Is I'd put some of these team-heavy incentives in there because that's what it's about. Um, a lot of players that you would never expect have some high incentives for making the all-star game. And people wonder why. Well, frankly, because if that random player makes an all-star game, they deserve that extra money. And why not have it in there if it's not going to hurt anything? Nick Collison, you remember Nick Collison who played for Seattle and Oklahoma City forever? <laughs> played for OKC. He was drafted by the Sonics and then played yeah. for OKC for like a decade. Yeah, played for them for like 15 years. He had an incentive in his contract for like $2 million to an MVP. <laughs> Never in a million years going to happen. But why not throw it in there? Because you know what? If Nick Collison breaks out and wins MVP this year, we'll happily give him an extra $2 million on his cheapo <laughs> contract. And so there's just some fun stuff you can do there. I just said, for changing the incentives, you have to wait till next summer. So there's some fun stuff you can do there to really protect yourself um, a little bit. You're still going to give him. Jazz fans are arguing, oh, are we going to give him 28% of the cap or 30% of the cap or 35% of the cap or whatever? But there's some wiggle in there of, okay, we're going to give you 30% of the cap, and we're going to let you try and build up and get that 30%, 35% of the cap. Because Gail Miller did sign off on the CBA that said, if a player does this, if they stay with their team and they become all NBA, you can offer more money to help keep them in a small market. That's what the Supermax there is for, is to keep the Anthony Davises and Rudy Gobert's and Gordon Hayward's in their market. Obviously, it's played out a thousand different ways with guys like Anthony Davis and Kawhi Leonard not wanting it, but that's why it's in the CBA. Whether it's worked or not, we could have a whole other podcast on. And so you've got to respect that. Even if you try and talk yourself out of Rudy not having that value, you've got to respect the, we put this in the CBA and he did it. And that's worth something. So I think you've got to give him some credit there. And I expect him to make all defense most of the next five years. I expect him to be an all-star a couple times in the next five years. And so this would put his first initial salary at $36 million, which makes him like the 18th highest paid player. And that's fine. Like, if we're not comfortable putting be the 18th highest paid player in the NBA, we're really going to struggle moving forward. So I've got two questions now for you, McCade. I'll give you the first one. In today's NBA, do you think that a team can win a title with their highest paid player, a guy like Rudy Gobert, being unable to create for himself offensively. Typically, we look at these huge money deals, 
as going to guys who are dynamic offensively. So obviously the NBA has shifted to a, an offensive heavy three-point shooting league. Can, can the Jazz realistically compete for a title if they're paying Rudy Gobert 30-plus million a season? So that's a really interesting question because it's a copycat world, right? It's really copycat in sports, especially go look at the NFL. They just, Hey, if I see a team doing this, we're going to do that. We're going to put players in that formation. And it's the same in the NBA. And I think in the NBA, it doesn't work as well as potentially in football or baseball or whatever, because players are so unique and individual and the players, everybody wants the LeBron's, the Kawhi's, the Kevin Durant's, just aren't that common. It's impossible to go out and get one of those guys. It's really, really hard to find out, oh, we just need a 3 and D guy. So I think if you want to win a championship in today's day and age, you either get LeBron or Fly or Kevin Durant, you draft crazy, crazy well like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Dream on Green, or you've just got to be unique and figure out a way. And the Jazz have the players' opportunities that Rudy Gobert is a top 15 player in the league. He's been voted all NBA top 17 four years in a row now. Like, Donovan Mitchell is on his way to becoming a superstar. You've got to just double down on who you are and find an identity and try and dig when the league's lagging because we saw this after Jordan retired. Every team had a player who was a Jordan wannabe, and every team except for the Lakers and Kobe Bryant sucked at it. And now we're kind of seeing in these last two or three years, every team's trying to just shoot the lights out like Steph Curry, and there's not enough great shooters in the league to make it happen. We saw with the Jazz this year, the number one three-point percentage team in the league. And then it still doesn't quite work in the playoffs. Learning from other teams is valuable, and that's good, and you should do that. But you also got to create your own path in a league where there's 30 teams, and only one team wins the title, and you don't have a stud wing. Gobert is one of the ways to do that. He is that unique of a player. We've never seen anybody like him. He's way better offensively than Ben Wallace. I guess he's kind of like the Kenbay. The Kenbay wasn't awful offensively. But it's just been a very, very rare player. Probably the players who closely relates to Rudy the most in history is Bill Russell, ironically enough. Russell wasn't a very good offensive player, but he brought a lot of value on the offensive end. Mm-hmm. And won games just because of who he was and how much he could do, despite not being the flashy 50-point-per-game scorer like Wilt and Carl Anthony Towns are, right? So yeah. there is the pass there, and it is there with Rudy and Donovan. It's just going to take some outside-the-box thinking, um, which we'll get more into in future pods, I'm sure. Okay, so it sounds like we're both on the same page that you can build a championship contender around Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell with Rudy as your highest paid player. What does it take to build that team? What do the Jazz need that they haven't had the last two or three years? You know, I think a good team for them to look at, a couple good teams. One, everyone says the 4 Pistons. I like the 8 Celtics a little bit with KG and Gobert, um, Ray Allen, Donovan Mitchell. you got some interesting pieces there that work. Um the one, the Lakers, I love if we would go big, bring in like Derek Favors and even another big, and just go big like the 2010 Lakers and have Kobe be, I mean, Donovan be our Kobe. But the other team I really, really like just to follow is the 2020 Miami Heat. You know who was having a very similar conversation to the one we're having right now um, at this point last year? It was the Philadelphia 76ers with Jimmy Butler. And they said, you know, we're just not sure if it's worth to pay Jimmy Butler that much money on the back end of his contract. Mm-hmm. And they let Jimmy Butler walk. They got a Josh Richardson in a sign-in trade, but they let Jimmy Butler walk because they just weren't sure that 30-year-old Jimmy Butler was going to be worth it when he was 35. And that was a big mistake. Um, I think Jimmy Butler and Rudy Gobert are pretty similar players. They're intense personalities, obviously can't shoot, but just do so many little things and so many leadership things and are just so intense and driven to winning 
So they just make you a winning basketball team. And then you just have to have a billion really, really, really good role players around that. Starting with Donovan, um, who's obviously more than a role player. Conley has to be, Boyan has to be, you have to grow and get more of them. You just have to make some trades. You just have to be creative. And I said, we'll talk about that in future podcasts. But you really just got to make sure there isn't a weakness around them. Just like Kawhi did in 2019. Nobody was great outside Kawhi. Kyle Lowry was kind of the same way. Really good, intense personality, just a good winning player. But then Serge Ibaka, Marcus Gasol, so on and so forth. All these guys played offense and played defense, even if they weren't great at anything. And so you just have to have, I know, sounds silly. You just have to have a complete team around your star to win the championship. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, it's it's true. It does sound simple to say you have to have a complete team and you need to have good role players. I, I think for the Jazz specifically, as I watched the, their play in the bubble, as I watched the regular season before it ended in March, and we watched the seven-game playoff series with the Nuggets, one of the glaring things, that, two glaring things that stood out to me every single game, one, the Jazz were just so small. And that's, that doesn't mean that, you know, we talked about them not having a power forward and missing Bojan Bogdanovic so much, but it was they just didn't have any length, especially on the perimeter. Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell are both 6-1 at most. Neither of them have especially long arms. And so they just they got beat up on the perimeter, and I didn't feel like they had great. Great would be a huge stretch. I didn't feel like they had a good perimeter defensive player. Royce O'Neal isn't very good defensively on the perimeter because he's all about strength. So he's a lot better when he gets down on the blocks. He's he's not a quickness type of guy. So when I look at what they need to do, and yeah, we'll definitely get more into this in terms of specific guys that we would look for for the Jazz to build a roster around, but they need length and defensive ability on the perimeter, and they need low variance guys. They had a lot of dudes yeah. at the end of the roster. George Niang is a perfect example who could come in Jordan and... Carson. Clarkson, yeah. They come in and score 20 points one night. Niang could come in and score 13 points and hit three threes. And then the next night he goes 0 for 6 from the three-point line. Jordan Clarkson can score 30 points. And then the next night he'll come back and go 3 for 17. And so that's that's really where they need to improve. They they need to get that low variance and and know what they're getting from from the back end of their roster. They, they know what to expect from Rudy Gobert on a night-to-night basis. It's looking more and more like they're going to know what to expect from Donovan Mitchell. They know what to expect from Bogdanovich. But what, what can they get around those guys? Because you're not going to win a title on the backs of only your four best players. Every championship team has two or one or two guys that have to step up in the playoffs and unexpected guys. Danny Green is a really good, good example of the type of player the Jazz would look for. Somebody... Not necessarily, you know, you probably expect him to make the roster, but not necessarily to have a huge impact. And then we watched Danny Green develop over the years with the Spurs, and he turned into a guy that they could depend on defensively on the perimeter who could knock down corner threes. And and that's the type of thing that the Jazz are going to be looking for. Unfortunately, in the NBA today, those skills are probably the most valued skills for role players. So... The and jazz. I think that's where you kind of have to zigzag the other direction. And I really think the Jazz need a legit four next to Rudy. And no fours exist in today's game, right? So you have the Julius Randle, Derek Favors, Paul Millsap's tight. But, yeah, you're looking for one of those guys, a Lamar Odom, a Carlos Boozer, a Carl Malone. Can we get a Carl Malone? <laughs> um, but a legit four who, when Rudy gets stuck out on the perimeter with a guard, he can defend that guard on the perimeter. But somebody who can protect the rim at least a little bit, 
and rebound the ball when Rudy forces a miss out on the perimeter. But haven't we already seen that script with Derek Favors? And, and it was... They were so good with Derek Favors. They had a better net rating than the Raptors last year. Yeah, but they couldn't score. You you it, In the end, you have to be able to score and put points on the board the Jazz to win games. only went up one point this year from last year. Went from 109-4 to 110-4. Like, Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors together is about league average scoring. Maybe a little below, probably 40th percentile-ish. And you're right, that's not perfect. But with the 99th percentile in defense, that's a huge plus. And then you have 16 minutes of that, and then you have 16 minutes of Gobert dominating, and then you have 16 minutes of Favors doing his thing and Rudy sitting, and all of a sudden you have a complete 48 minutes of elite rim protection, bigs rebounding the ball, of just winning basketball. And when you have four or five stages in a game that you know you're going to be a plus two or three-ish, that closes the variance. That largens the sample size of, okay, how many different good lineups do we have and that's how you win games, and that's how you have a plus six or seven net rating, is you can't count on your starters to be plus 10 if your bench is going to be minus five. You've got to be plus two or three throughout the whole game to get to plus six. Anyway, we can get into that if you really want. Well, um, we're definitely going to get into that. I, I, because, but yeah. I, just, I think Rudy's that good, and I think instead of putting pressure on him to do everything, you bring support and you bring backup to really help emphasize what he does well. Yeah, I, I think we definitely disagree uh, on what the Jazz needs are going to be because I just I don't see a, a multiple bigs type of team being able to compete regularly in this league anymore. I mean, if they were to sign Rudy to a, a max or near max deal and then go out and give, say, the full mid-level exception to a guy like Derek Favors, you're, you're putting almost $45 million into the center position and I just think the league is way too perimeter-oriented to have that much money at the basket. And, and then what are they supposed to do on the perimeter? How do they, they defend guys like Jamal Murray? How do they, they, they defend do your... They've got to do that, too. Don't worry. <laughs> no, they got a few things they got to do. There, there's um, a lot to be done. I think this is a, a good way to start um, some of our off-season conversations, McCade. Um, did you have anything else before we jump into our no. NFL picks? Nope. If you have any questions, if anyone listening has any questions about the cap and some weird complex things I may have mentioned, if I didn't explain anything clearly, find me on Twitter. I'm more than happy to answer um, general questions or specific scenario questions. Um, but yeah, you want to get in the NFL? Let's, let's do our NFL pick. So we aren't certain. I think I went two and one last week. I can't remember what my third pick was. And you went one and two, right? No, I went two and one. I, no, oh, okay. I went one and two. You're right. Ah, sucker. Yes. No, we each got the Vikings game wrong, and then I split on the other two. I think you got both of them right. Yeah, so I think I'm up two to one and on my on my way to victory and getting that opening night dinner from you. But week three NFL picks, the theme for me is road underdogs. I've got three road underdogs that I, I picked to cover, and I, I think it's going to be interesting to watch. So I'll give you my first pick, and then we'll alternate back and forth, okay? Okay. So I am going to Jacksonville, where the Dolphins are getting three points against the Jaguars. I, I look at the Dolphins team. They lost to Buffalo in New England. Those are probably the two best teams in the AFC East. The Jaguars at 1-1 one and one haven't looked particularly good, and I just I feel like there's some value there getting the Dolphins with three points. I, I think the Dolphins probably win this game outright. I looked at that game. I couldn't pick a Thursday game, though. Yeah, that was um, the only thing. I hate doing anything Thursday-related. I almost <laughs> always refuse to play fantasy guys on Thursday nights. But whatever. This is fun. My theme is 0-2 home teams this week. So I have three teams that are 0-2 and playing at home that are going to turn things around a little bit. First, 
the Eagles have got to do something at some point, right? They're six-point favorites against Cincinnati. They've got to beat Cincinnati by six points. Otherwise, their season's in big, big trouble. Um, I'm trusting Carson Wentz and Miles Sanders to turn things around there. Um, secondary should be fine against the rookie quarterback and Joe Burrow. Give me the Eagles minus six against the Bengals. I've got that game as well. I'm going the other direction. Give me the Bengals plus six over the Eagles. Oh. The, the Eagles have been a unit that just, I mean, offense, defense, and special teams, they've been hurt a lot so far this year. Looks like the injury report's a little bit more clear for the Eagles this week. But honestly, I've watched a li- bits of both Bengals games. Joe Burrow looks like the real deal. Uh, I think best case, this is a field goal game no matter what. So if you're going to give me six points, then I, I will take those six. Interesting. All right, this one, I'm surprised you didn't have this one. This is kind of my lock of the week, is the Falcons' offense is rolling. They just have some very dumb, I don't even know what the word is, just mistakes, bad coaching. Dan Quinn shouldn't last much longer. But they've got to win by three points against the Bears at home, right? Um, so that's an 0-2 team at home against a 2-0 and team on the road. Give me the Falcons minus three against the darn Bears. The offense looks great. they got to win this one, right? I, you know, I think that's a pretty good lock. That was, I took a peek at that one. It was a little bit too easy for me. So my last pick here is going to be Raiders plus six and a half as they go to New England to face the Patriots. Raiders had a, I looked at that one. a big Monday night win against the Saints. I don't know how many people would have predicted that one. And I think as they go up to New England, they've got a chance to prove themselves as the second best team in the AFC West. And I, I mean, legitimately a contender in the AFC potentially. So, I, you know, that's one I, I looked at. I think the Patriots have looked pretty good with um, Cam Newton at quarterback. But, yeah, six and a half points for the Raiders. I don't know that they necessarily win this game, but they, they should keep it closer than a touchdown. Uh, I really looked at that one, too. I just get really scared with um, West Coast teams hitting that far east. Um, which kind of leads me to our next one. This is kind of my bold one. I'm taking the Giants plus four over the Niners. The Niners are really banged up despite the blowout win in New York this past weekend. But they're out in New York for a second straight week. That's a long road trip. I think they're practicing in the D.C. area. I think they flew down to D.C. for the week for practice. That's a long time out on the East Coast. There's some issues with the turf. They're really, really banged up. No quarterback, no running back. Richard Sherman's out. I can't even – I don't have time to list all the injuries the Niners have. I think the Niners win this game. But I think it's by under four points. I think the Giants at home, without Saquon, I know, figure out a way to keep it close against a banged-up Niners team. Yeah, that's that's an interesting game to pick just because of all the injuries on both both teams there. So, so sum this one up this week, McCade. I've got the Dolphins plus three against Jacksonville, Raiders plus six and a half at New England, and the Bengals plus six and outright beating the Eagles. I got the Eagles minus six against the Bengals, Falcons minus three against the Bears, Giants plus four against the 49ers. Three 0 2 teams at home. Got to figure it out in week three. We'll see how they do. Road underdogs, man. That's the story of the week. Thanks for having me on. Love Rudy Gobert talk. As always, we'll be back. McCade, where can I find you on Twitter? Uh, hit me up at McCade P8. It's M C C A D E P8. And I'm always willing to talk about just about anything. And you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at bpriest24. That's at B-P-R-E-E-C-E 24. And remember, with Home Court Press, if you like what you're hearing, remember to subscribe, share, rate, and review so more people can find the podcast. We'll be coming out every Wednesday throughout the offseason. And hopefully it's not a really long one. I did see the other day Adam Silver said it's 
probably likely that they won't start until 2021. So we'll see how that goes. But thanks for listening to the pod and have a great week.